Well, back in 2011, the movie The Help came out, and it focused on the plight of black maids in 1960s Mississippi, so dealt with the racial tensions in our culture at that time. And one of the central characters in the movie is a maid named Abilene, who spent her whole life taking care of white babies. And in her current assignment, she's taking care of a little girl named Mae Mobley, who's neglected and ignored by her own mother because her own mother doesn't think that her daughter Mae is the picture-perfect little girl. She's overweight, unattractive. But it's Abilene the maid who sees beyond the external appearances and loves this little girl. And it's, it's Abilene, the maid, that tells May Mobley over and over, you is kind, you is smart, you is important, reminding her that she's loved and of her dignity. And then in the movie, you see in the movie, the little girl, May Mobley, tells Abilene, you're my real mama, baby. Man looks at the appearances, God looks into our heart. Let's focus, we, let's face it, we focus on the externals often. I mean, look at social media today. Uh, spoiler alert, a lot of this is a facade as we're trying to project these awesome external appearances. But God looks into our heart. He looks into your heart, into my heart. And God says, he or she is very, very good. We proclaim this fundamental truth as Christians that we have an inherent dignity and worth as human beings, not based on all the externals. So our dignity isn't based on our productivity or our health or our age or whether we're born or unborn, our appearance, our intelligence, our skin color. We tend to judge one another based on the externals. God knows that each Human life is sacred because we're made in His very image and likeness, and He sees our heart. He sees His own image in us. That's what Abilene, the maid, saw in May Mobley, looked into our heart and saw the image of God. And so we have this intrinsic worth. So many in our world today are blind to this very basic truth of the dignity of human life. Now, in our readings today, we see how God often chooses the least likely to do His work. This is really the primacy of grace. And so in that first reading from 1 Samuel, who does God choose? Not one of the seven oldest of Jesse's sons. He chooses the least likely, David, the youngest, who's this scrawny little kid. In fact, remember when David goes up against Goliath, he's so small, he can't even wear the armor. It weighs too much for him. So we see how God chooses the weak. Why? To manifest His power, we hear in the Gospel. It's all for the glory of God. So make no mistake about it. It's not through our human efforts that the work of God is accomplished, but it's God working in and through us. God calls those who are unworthy, those who are weak, the primacy of grace. God doesn't call us because we're so good, but because He's so good. God doesn't heal us because we're deserving, but because we desperately need it. 
And we see that in the blind man. God didn't heal him because he did something extraordinary for God. But the primacy of grace. God first chooses us. Our gospel now is saturated with baptismal imagery. Because it's through our baptism that we really see the primacy of grace. That God frees us from our sin and gives us a share in his victory. Not because we deserve it. But out of his love and mercy for us, he chooses us and gives us his grace. What happens in our baptism? 1 Peter 3.20 Baptism saves you now. We are saved through our baptism. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, in baptism we die with Christ. We die to our sinful life. Our original sin, any personal sin is washed away. And we rise from the baptismal font with Christ, that death is conquered in us. We share in Christ's victory through our baptism. So let's look at the gospel in these baptismal details. First, the man is born blind. Image of original sin. We're all born into the world blind, separated from God, wounded. Okay? The doctrine of original sin is so important because it reminds us that all of us are born into the world in need of a Savior. The precondition of accepting Jesus as our Savior is to acknowledge, I need to be saved. I'm a sinner. I'm going to die. Jesus, save me. Original sin. He's born blind. Now Jesus tells him to go wash. In a pool, obvious reverence to baptism. How is the man healed? By washing in water. We're washed clean through our baptism. Now there are many points of the gospel that points out baptism. Through baptism, we become a part of God's new creation. So, okay, remember how the Bible begins. First words of the Bible, in the beginning. You know the first words of the gospel of John? In the beginning. God's whole plan of salvation is he's going to bring about a new creation. So we know the story. God created us. We fell. And now God is going to restore us and bring about a new creation. And his new creation is even going to be more wonderful than his original creation. And in this new creation, there's going to be a new Adam and a new Eve. Who's the new Adam? Jesus. Who's the new Eve? Mary. And remember, in God's first creation, God created Adam and Eve without sin. So doesn't it make sense that God's new creation is even going to be greater? That, of course, the new Adam and new Eve will be sinless. Jesus, of course, has no sin. And the Immaculate Conception, Mary's conceived without sin. And then God wants to invite all of his people into this new creation by washing us free of our sin. And giving us a share in his divine life through our baptism. So let's look at these references to new creation in this gospel. First, Jesus spits and puts clay on the man's eyes. Remember, in the original creation, God created Adam out of the clay. God is recreating this man, putting clay on his eyes. And then did you notice after he's healed, people don't recognize him. Is this the man born blind or does he just look like him? What's happened? A change. He's been made new. He's not even recognizable. Yes, he is the man born blind, but something has changed in him. When we're baptized, we're changed. We're made new. And then startlingly, did you hear his response when they begin to question him? He says... 
I am. That's the name of God. Remember when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush? God revealed his name. I am who am. Now it's only Jesus in the Gospel of John who repeatedly says I am. Because Jesus is true God. I am who am. In the person of Jesus, God has visited his people. So how in the world does this man utter the name of God when they say who are you? And he says I am. Because through our baptism, we're grafted onto Christ Jesus. Jesus is alive and risen in us in our baptism. We become an altar Christus, another Christ, to the point that we can say, I am. We are divinized through our baptism. Remember, last week I talked about how through our baptism we are wed to God. And when two people are wed, they become one. And so in our baptism, we share in the very divine life of God. We're divinized. And so this man can say the name of God. Now what's our response? The whole readings this weekend are about the primacy of grace. That we are anointed, we are chosen, God wants to recreate us. He wants to give us a share in his victory through our baptism. And now he wants our response. What's our response? Did you hear the name of the pool that the man was healed in and washed in? It was sent. What is our response? We are sent forth to bear witness now to all that God has done in our lives. This man, once he's healed, he begins to give his testimony and witness of what Jesus has done for him. This is our response to all that God has done for us. We are sent forth from every Mass now to be a light for the world and to give testimony to all that Jesus has done for us.